Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. sure if he's going to try to add even more on next week, but I'm going to try to wrap us up tonight, talking about the second part of the last phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it really resonated with me what he said last week, uh, specifically about lead us not into temptation. And those two phrases, these key phrases, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, go together. So I'm going to match them up in certain places. But before we do that, I just want to pray for us because I'm aware that deliver us from the evil one or deliver us from evil is quite a weighty subject to talk about. So let me just pray. Father, I pray, God, that we would have an assurance tonight of knowing that you have won the war, that you have delivered us from evil, that you have conquered death, that you've defeated even the, the evil forces and the, the spiritual powers and the dark forces in this world. And God, we, we just declare that the, the, the war has been won, that there's been victory. So tonight, I just pray that you would speak to us these true words of encouragement, these true words that, that you are the, the author of truth. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So the health visitor came around to our house on Friday. Uh, If you don't know what a health visitor is, I'm I'm kind of going on this journey along with you, and I'll explain in just a minute. Um, Now, before I tell you some of this, I just want to caveat this and say I'm not from here, and there's no such thing as health visitors uh, in the U.S., and so I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's different, so please take it with a grain of salt. If you come out to me after this and you say, you're so wrong about the health system in the U.K., you've completely missed the point. But the health visitor came around this Friday... And, you know, my eight-month pregnant wife, um, she told me about this health visitor, that they're going to come do this pre-assessment, and I laughed. I thought it was funny. They're coming around to our house to do a pre-assessment about us. Someone from the NHS coming around to our house to pre-assess us. And I thought, they're going to ask all sorts of intruding questions. Now, in my mind, I actually picture the health visitor as being kind of like a social services agent. You know, they come over to your house before because they want to make sure that you're not, like, abusing your child or that your house is, like, doesn't have a bunch of sharp corners or edges. So I was pretty skeptical of this person, but I thought, you know, I'm a good sport. I'm going to go along with this. I'll play the game. Sure, let's do it. And I was worried that this lady who comes over, she's going to think, you know, I'm off the rails or maybe I've lost it. And so actually, I went along with this as being a good sport, and things did kind of go off the rails. And they went off the rails when the health visitor started asking me specifically about what immunization schedules would look like for our son. And I was shocked when I kind of nonchalantly said, oh, when when will he get the chickenpox vaccine? And she said, chickenpox vaccine, we don't offer the chickenpox vaccine in this country. I said, why? She said, oh, there's all sorts of costs, you know, like if we were to vaccinate everyone, it would be bad. Plus, you don't really need the chickenpox vaccine. Apparently, there's these things in the UK called like chicken pox parties where parents take their kids to another person's house with chicken pox and they enclose them in a room and they all get chicken pox together. 
And so an argument ensued <laughs> with the health visitor. And the argument went sort of like, the evidence says that getting chicken pox is a bad thing because later on in life you could develop shingles. So why would I want my kid for, for what's a 20 quid vaccine could be safe from this, this sort of terrible illness? And she just didn't agree with me. <laughs> she just absolutely did not agree with me. A few years ago, Barna asked church leaders across the U.S. to list their church's priorities. And they actually, they published the results in a survey, and, and the survey was shocking. Among all the churches polled, there were these visionary leaders that had some really great priorities. They really had some good, aspirational things that they wanted their churches to accomplish, and what their priorities were. So half of them actually said they wanted their churches to be these disciple-making sort of centers. They wanted to raise up the next generation of disciples who make disciples. That's great. Half of them also said that they considered it a priority to take the gospel to their communities. They wanted to raise up a new generation of Billy Graham-like evangelists to go and take the gospel to the places where it's not been heard before. Some of the more shepherding pastors, the less apostolic pastors, had some really great priorities as well. They listed counseling among them, spiritual development, a key priority for their church. Guess where prayer was on this list of church leaders' priorities? Dead last. Dead last. I'm actually shocked that it even made the list. Because only 3% of all the church leaders polled even listed prayer as a priority for their church. If prayer is not a priority in our lives, we're in pretty sorry shape. See, vaccines are this sort of routine part of life. They're essential preventative medicine. Not just for you, but actually medical professionals agree now that there's this sort of herd immunity thing that when other people get vaccinated, the sort of most vulnerable people in society who either can't get a vaccine or would react to a vaccine are actually protected as well. And this is kind of like what prayer is. Prayer is a vaccine. It's the immunization. It's the first thing. It's the first line of defense. It's preventative. It's the key number one foundational priority. And Jesus even prays, Father, deliver us from the evil one. Protect us from the evil one. Protect us from the evil in this world. So I want us to think about prayer just a little bit like that as we sort of dig into this second part. Protect us, deliver us from the evil one. So there's sort of two ways that you could go about looking at what this actually means. Deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. The first is this. We could sort of think that maybe here Jesus is talking about the things in the world which we actually would blame others or something else on when things don't go our way. You know, I hear people all the time say, oh, it's the political party's fault. You know, if it wasn't for that party, things wouldn't be going so bad. It's my boss. He's always making me stay late for work, and he gives me a ton of extra work as well. It's my bad neighbor. He lets his kids stay up throughout the whole night playing their drum kit. Can't get any sleep. It's that person who hurt me. They're really evil. It's more serious. It's that cancer, that diagnosis, that health scare. It was the tsunami. It was the earthquake. It was the flood. And don't misunderstand me. This first way of interpreting this passage, I'm not downplaying at all. There actually is serious evil caused by sin in the world. There are bad consequences from the fact that we live in a sinful world. We're human. We experience suffering as part of just being human. That's evil. And that's fine to call it that. 
But I actually believe that here, Jesus is talking about a second kind of evil. He's not talking about the evil that we see, but he's talking about a kind of supernatural sort of evil, a battle that's spiritual. It's an even greater, more invisible sort of evil. So the word for evil here, it's not talking about some kind of abstract sort of evil, like a moral evil or like a natural evil that occurs in the world. It's very specific. This word, this phrase, would only actually be used if it were talking about a person. Deliver us from the evil one. This evil one that Jesus refers to is a, it's a formidable enemy. An enemy that wants to steal and kill and destroy our lives. He's a great accuser. He wants to plant these lies inside our head. He wants to believe all sorts of crazy stuff that's going to lead to us doing bad actions. He's a formidable enemy, and his name is Satan. Now, the best thing, the most prized accomplishment for this enemy would be for you to go on thinking that he doesn't exist, that actually all the evil in the world is moral evil or natural evil, and that actually there isn't a spiritual battle going on. He would love for you to go on thinking that. It would be a win for him if you could ignore that there's this real battle happening around us, this spiritual battle. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote this great book called The Screwtape Letters. I'd, I'd really encourage you to go read it. And he imagines these minions of Satan. These minions of Satan are engaged in this battle for human souls, and they're, they're writing about it with each other, what this battle looks like. And in that book, one of those demons writes this. He says, I once had a patient, a sound atheist, who used to read in the British Museum. In one day, as he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind beginning to go the wrong way. If I had lost my head and begun to attempt a defense by argument, I should have been undone. But I was not such a fool. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best under my control. And I suggested that it was just about time he had some lunch. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. He is now safe in the devil's house. The Bible doesn't make light of this spiritual warfare, this spiritual battle that we fight, that's being fought all around us. And that gives us a really vivid picture of who this enemy is. This enemy is an enemy that doesn't fight fair. John chapter 8 says he was a murderer from the beginning. He's not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. John 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5.8, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It also says he's a tempter. 1 John 3.8, he has been sinning from the beginning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived, tempted by the cunning ways of the serpent, Satan. See, this enemy's plan is centered around one thing, and one thing in particular. If he can get you to believe a lie, he's won. If he can get you to believe a lie, he's won the battle. He's this master liar. He's cunning. He's sly. And I'm not downplaying it. With one lie, he can convince us into knowing or thinking we know what's good for us. Now, here's the thing. God's already won this war, right? Do we believe that? He's already won this war. The war's been won. But there's still a battle that's going on. There's still a very real battle that's going on around us. 
And that's why Jesus prays this prayer, Father, deliver us from the evil one. There's this really great part of Ephesians. It's at the end, and it says this. It says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I've become especially aware of these sort of lies as I prepare for all the things that fatherhood has in store for me. And I've actually, I've had the opportunity just being in ministry to, to talk to and to counsel a lot of fathers and a lot of husbands. And I'm just going to say this, right? Men in this room, so women, just for a second, don't like close your ears. This is directly relevant to you as well. But men need a lot of support in this area. In fact, actually, I would encourage you uh, guys to get around a group of other men in the church who can support you, right? Accountability. And I'd encourage you, the men's events that we run here are absolutely fantastic. I'd encourage you to come around to these. And this sort of enemy's spiritual battle that he is waging against us is to make us believe a lot of really stupid and crazy lies, things that are just absolutely not true at all. Um, He wants you to believe these things because ultimately he wants it to impact your actions. If he can plant a thought, a lie in your head, that will lead you to sinning, that's what he wants. That's the ultimate win. So I'm going to use like a manly metaphor here. Once again, women, this applies to you as well. Just put it in your own context, but I'm speaking from a place of being a guy, being a husband, soon to be a father. All right, so the enemy's lies are like hot sauce, right? Some of them are absolutely flaming hot. They're just flaming hot lies. They're just ridiculous lies. And don't worry, like, this isn't a show of hands. I'm going to list just a few of them here. It's not like a show of hands, but I'm just kind of saying it because I want us to think about maybe some of these have popped in our head before. Some of these things that that are practical sort of spiritual battles that Jesus is praying against, this deliver us from the evil one, is about this battle, this spiritual battle. Some of the lies like, like this, my wife is not satisfying me. You know, sadly, this lie actually leads many to find excitement in other fantasy relationships. And actually, it leads a lot of men down a, down a path that's it's just destructive, You know, one um, pornography user actually said this, for me, the draw of porn was largely a draw to novelty. It keeps me coming back for more because it promises an endless source of novelty. Each new picture provides a new sensation or, or a new relationship. So it's a terrible lie that leads to a sin. Lies like this, men, I deserve a better family. There's a website called Secret Regrets. You can go look it up later. It's absolutely devastating. Where people post these secret regrets that they have or had in their life. And one of the people, as I was reading it this week, said this. 
I'm in the process of something I know I'll regret down the line. I know I'll regret down the line. And I know that at any point in my timeline, I'll never have the courage to say this. I know you're in love with me and I'm in love with you, but I'm happily married. Not being with you kills me. I deserve a better family. A terrible lie. Lie number three, the biggest one of all. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't care about me. It's a lie. This is one of the saddest of them. Yet another husband said this. Six years into my wife's struggle with brutal and sometimes crippling chronic pain, I'm still surprised by how often I find myself grasping for promises and hope because I'm suddenly, sometimes without warning, shaken and disoriented by the sorrow and frustration I feel. I found myself tempted to believe the subtle lie that God was not really with us completely. I was tempted to believe that earthly comfort and health are worth more than the treasure of Jesus. Satan was prowling and my flesh was weak and tired. I'm not going to end the talk there, but that would be a really terrible way to end the talk. Because God gives us a battle plan. He gives us a battle plan, and it's really clear what that battle plan is. And I absolutely love it. So here's the vaccine. Are you ready for Satan's lies? All right, thing number one. Pray for a rescue. Pray for a rescue from God. When Jesus uses this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer... He uses a specific word. I actually don't like the way that it's been translated in a lot of the versions of the Bible. It's been translated as deliver, and we know it as deliver historically. But actually, the, the word deliver here is not really the right kind of meaning. The, the word deliver, the original Greek word here is romai. And romai actually doesn't really mean deliver. It, it literally means to snatch up, to, to rescue, to snatch up. I kind of had, as I read this, this vivid image of a God who's on a rescue mission. And here we are at sea, sort of drowning in this spiritual battle that we've got. But God comes, and it's him who does the delivering. It's him who does the rescuing. He's the one who snatches us up. He's quite literally, he's on a rescue mission for us. It's his battle. It's not our battle. It's his battle to fight. And he's the one that's going to rescue us from this sea of lies, from these spiritual forces, from Satan. He's pulling us up out of the water. And I love the word rescue here. Instead, rescue us from the evil one. Rescue us from evil. Because it recognizes that we don't actually have to save ourselves. It's not up to us. It's a war that God has already won. He's fighting this battle. So when we pray this part of the Lord's Prayer, what we're praying for is a rescue, a deliverance that God will provide. It's a great rescue mission. And here's the good news. The devil, the enemy, doesn't have a chance against Jesus. He doesn't have a chance against Jesus. The rescue's already been done, and he'll continue to rescue us from now through forever. So that's the first thing. Pray for a rescue. We pray for a rescue in this model prayer. We pray that though there will be temptation, that though there will be trials that God's going to rescue us from evil. He's going to rescue us in this spiritual battle. All right, the second thing, the second vaccine is this. It's replace the lie with the truth. Replace the lie with the truth. See, Jesus reminds us here that the truth has actually already been provided to us. 
The truth has been provided to us. It's, it's in this book. This is the truth. The truth and the, the battle that we wage, this spiritual battle that's waged, the truth is in here. So when you're confronted with a lie, look it up in this book to see if it's a lie or see if it's the truth. This is the truth. When we read in Ephesians, we see that the battle of, of dark powers is actually fought when we put on the full armor of God. We put on this full armor of God. And the first piece of armor I absolutely love, and I, I just can't help but think about Paul as he was writing Ephesians, thinking about the Lord's Prayer and thinking about this rescue that Jesus gives, and then writing this about the first piece of armor, the belt of truth. That's the first piece of armor that we put on is the belt of truth. The biggest thing that will combat a lie is true, is truth. That's what combats lies. When we know what thought's true from what thought's a lie, then we move on. Um, can we throw up the Ephesians passage? So when we know, if we go forward... Great. And so when we know that we've put on the belt of truth, we know it's a truth and what's a lie, it says that we can then put on this breastplate of righteousness. It's this breastplate of righteousness. And it's absolutely incredible because actually the lie that Satan intended to trip us up is going to actually be tur turned into an opportunity to practice righteousness, to do the right thing and not the wrong thing. So the belt of truth leads us to the breastplate of righteousness. But then we strap on the shoes. I love the shoes. The shoes bring a peace. They bring a stability. You think about a, a marathon, uh, a marathon runner running a race without his shoes. He couldn't stand the test of time. She couldn't stand the test of time. The shoes provide this resilience to walk a long way in our actions, to do and practice righteousness continually throughout our lives. Then there's the shield. I absolutely love the shield. It's great. It deflects the enemy's lies so that no more lies can get to us. So it's like as we confront in this spiritual battle, as we put on this full armor of God, we, we get more and more protected. In prayer, we see ourselves more and more protected from the enemy's lies. I love the shield. Then there's the helmet of salvation. It's the surest and last final defense against the enemy because it's a recognition that salvation's come, that those who believe in Christ, though there is a battle that still wages on, that actually the war's been won, that salvation has already come, that it's already come. And so even if an attack gets through, even if there's a spiritual battle, even if you're facing spiritual warfare in your life right now, salvation has already come. The helmet of salvation is on you. It's part of the armor of God that you wear. And finally, there's the only offensive weapon, which I love. It's the only thing that's not defensive, but offensive. It's the sword of God's word. It's not just an offense against the enemy, a defense against the enemy. It's actually our weapon to strike him down. It's the truth. It makes the lies clear for what they are, that they're lies. So I just want to wrap up here, right? So first thing, pray for rescue. Second, replace the lie with the truth. So, uh, interactive response. Stand to your feet. So, the easiest way to know if you've put on the armor of God 
The easiest way to know and to, to model and to pray this section of the Lord's Prayer as a model prayer is to ask yourself this question. What have you considered to be your enemy? What have you considered to be your enemy? Are you recognizing that it's not just simply a, a worldly battle, but this is a spiritual battle, that you face a spiritual battle? And I want to be really practical right now, asking you just to think about what's that thing? What's that battle I feel like I'm facing right now? Identify that. Maybe just close our eyes. Think about that. And I want us to, to identify what's that thing? And where is there a spiritual war that's raging on? And now how am I praying for God to bring a rescue? What thoughts, men especially, but women as well, what thoughts have been in your head lately that you know are from the enemy? They're just not true. They're just blatant lies. What are you going to do to counteract those thoughts? How are you going to guard your mind? See, Jesus had it right all along. The answer to temptation when it comes our way is not to rely on our own strength, but it's to pray to God for a rescue, for a deliverance from the battle that we have. So let me just ask you now, just to take a moment in prayer to just ask God for just that, that bold prayer of saying, this is my number one priority now. It's to come to you and to say, I trust that you're going to provide rescue for me, that you're going to deliver me from the evil one, from the spiritual battle that, that wages on. So just give you a moment to, to sort of silently say, I give it to you, God. going to move into worship, um, but I'm, I'm just aware that there's a, a very real spiritual warfare that happens all around us, and if you feel like you're struggling with that specifically tonight and you want prayer, I just want to say I'll be at the front. I would love to, to pray with you. Um, this is the first line of defense. This is the immunization, and I want to just help you think through that. Men especially, I just kind of felt like as I was preparing this tonight, um, this week as I was preparing that God was just saying this is a really timely and relevant message for someone in here. Uh, so I'd just love to, to process that with you and to pray as we, as we worship. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.